Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm really excited to have as our guest today, Bridget G. She's the Spiritual Formation Coordinator for InterVarsity's Study Abroad Programs. She directs European pilgrimages for students, staff, and partners to experience contemplative and historic followings of Jesus. She's also the host of Solidarity, the singleness podcast, and lives in Tucson, Arizona, where I had a yeah. chance to spend a little bit of time way back in the day. Bridget, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Bridget, when would you, did you initially get involved with InterVarsity? Right before school started, freshman year, I had a friend in the chapter down here at the University of Arizona. And we were friends from Phoenix, from high school times. And she was like, just come join us. And I was sold pretty fast. So, And what was it about the Ivy experience that was compelling for you as a student? A lot of different things. I think what kept me there is that there were a bunch of other students who wanted to actively pursue their faith. And having gone to public school my whole life. There weren't a lot of those students at my schools, Yeah, a couple maybe, but then coming to a state school and there being this whole community of people who were pretty committed to their relationships with God was new for me and really exciting. And it was a lot of fun. That's great. So Bridget, talk a little bit about the backstory for the book. How did you decide that this was a topic that you wanted to, to lean into and help others navigate? Part of it is that I just kept being single. <laughs> you know, sometimes we're just interested in the topics that are most pressing, you know, in our lives and hearts. And I think it's a combination of the fact that I'm a really romantic person and yet also very single. And so dealing with that on a personal level, like, why did you make me this way, God? Yeah. And why are these circumstances of my life? And then working with college students for the last 11 years, uh, a lot of times they're pretty single. Like, I mean, this generation, as I've been on staff with university, I got to like help mentor and disciple the sort of the end of the millennials. And then it's just been Gen Z for a while. And Gen Z doesn't get into relationships like as easily, I think, <laughs> from my from my experience. Even this topic is interesting to them because it helps them think about being intentional when they're single and that their lives could be full, that they're not really missing out on anything. And so I think I didn't find there to be enough content about that to offer my students, but even for me as, you know, for my beginning of my adulthood, like in my twenties, there just wasn't a lot around. And only recently has there been a lot more uh, resources, books, podcasts for single people, even in this Christian culture. And so, which is exciting, but it really has only been in the last couple of years. So what's your theory about that, Bridget? Why do you think the church has been kind of late to the conversation that that's pretty critical? Oh, you know, I don't even know if I've been asked that yet, which is amazing. I think because there's been a huge conversation around what happened in the 90s and early 2000s in American evangelical Christianity. You can call it deconstruction. You can say it's just like, you know, theological discourse around like purity culture, I think is a huge mm -hmm. part of it. And then of course, like LGBTQ issues, like, you know, people are talking about that a lot in the church. Is there a place for everybody within the kingdom of God and within church? 
And so then, of course, the singleness question comes up because you hear the message way more often in kind of any corner you go to, any kind of culture you step into, that being coupled and being married is like more valuable. And I think also only more recently have I heard from like a secular point of view that being single is the best. I say this really briefly in my book, but the storylines that keep us coming back for more in so many TV shows and movies and books, it's a little love story, you know? And so we do value that a lot. And I don't think there's anything, you know, inherently wrong with it, but it's just that when it comes to the church, we've really made our discipleship and kind of even the value all around the roles of being a spouse. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, yeah, the church has just missed out and it's, it's run by mostly married people. So in some ways it makes sense, but it also like, hopefully I've done a gentle and yet still, you know, firm nudge of like, we need to keep headed in the direction of having a more equal amount of content. You know, there's half of the church is single in, in like at least the Western world. So. Right. Right. Again, even as I hear you talk, it's not like anybody rolled out of bed one day and said like, oh, we're going to stick it to the single constituencies in our churches. Like it wasn't malicious, but nevertheless, the consequence is still the same that you've got a really significant population that feels marginalized and feels told again, even if it's just by silence that they're other than or less than. And you talk a little bit about the corrective. You kind of, you talked about the gentle arm nudge. What is your nudge for largely evangelical church environments, church circles, church leaders to be able to say, Hey, here's where we've missed it. And here's what a fix could look like. I think go all in on your single people. That doesn't mean having a young professionals group or a singles ministry necessarily, mm-hmm. unless a single is the one wanting to put that together. And don't assume that all of your single people will be getting married soon. You know, we talk about singleness like a season so often. And I think just like so many other things, it's not a guaranteed season. This season might last the rest of my life, in which case it was my entire life. I liken it to when my friends, they're waiting on um, conception. They're, They're trying to have a baby and they're waiting and waiting. And I see how not guaranteed that is for so many of my friends. And the pain that comes with it, it reminds me of like, the not guarantee of me finding a spouse and the the pain and loneliness that I feel. And so that's just one thing I would encourage the church to do is really think about the language that you have around singleness and marriage. So often it's projected onto us single people that we will be married someday. Or one of the other things too, that's really troubling is kind of this theological idea that marriage is the place that most of the sanctification will happen for people. Mm. And I just, I think that that is probably true for the person that whose mouth is it's coming out of saying like, I've never been more sanctified than being married. And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> like, amen. I'm so glad that your marriage is sanctifying you. We just accidentally use these words that make it sound like that means that in my experience of singleness, I won't experience such a level of like opportunity to 
become holy. And that's just not really, there's nothing I can even think of in the Bible that says something like that, you know? And so all that to say is like, I think it starts with thinking about your language around singleness and marriage, what you're saying from the pulpit, and then how much are you actually partnering with single people and to not put them in boxes because I think too often yeah, not not only are we maybe feeling marginalized, but we're feeling not trusted to have leadership positions. And I, I can speak more for women than men because I do see single men being uplifted and given opportunities that I haven't been, even if we're talking like just some guy who just started coming to a church I was going to, right? And then like, I've been there for a decade and I am highly trained and skilled and have offered myself in multiple, you know, like ways and been denied. And then I see this guy kind of on the pastor track within six months of starting to attend the church. So that's something that's really hard and weird. And I think it has a little to do with maybe what we, how we view gender roles in marriage um, and how we elevate them. And so it is a prophetic call to stop it, <laughs> but it, I think, um, there's a whole lot of things that sort of have to change in order to, to get to those places. And so I say those things and I have a little, little bit of pause in my heart of like, will people try, you know, will they partner with single women? And I think if you're partnering with single women, well, then you're going to partner with single everybody. Well, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, is, again, without, kind of try to speculate, what do you think is it is about those kind of environments that you just described that makes leaders uh, reluctant or reticent to elevate value, embrace, or affirm single women? Where Where's the, what's the catch there? I think it is that we've siloed women into the best role that they could possibly ever be in is as wife and mother. Hmm. And then complementarianism, I'm not sure that everyone has a full understanding of that when they put it into practice. I like to think of the way that the Bible describes relationships between men and women as like a harmony and a shalom rather than like a compliment that actually we need each other. And there's ways that like God wants to, uh, for us to use or to use each other, you know, with living and thriving and flourishing and creating a beautiful world here together rather than talking about what one person has over another or lacks over another, depending on, you know, their gender role or anything. I think that, yeah, I just don't know that we've done enough work in the area of thinking about or being an imaginative about all the things, all the ways that women can bless the church. And we think that male leadership is like where we need to invest. And I've heard lots of different things. See, this is a whole soapbox for me, (laughs) but one of the things is like, um, I I've heard young pastors of these kind of non-denominational evangelical churches be a little bit concerned about the feminization of church, you know, Oh, there's worship. And then like speaker, And our worship songs can be so emotional or things like that, right? Like there's just so many things and 
how we want to welcome, be hospitable. It's, it's all just so feminine. It's not bringing in the men. Mm-hmm. And so then they, they sort of, that that's the excuse to like really lean into male discipleship. And I'm tracking until like, I'm not. And I just think, well, if God, if we are made in God's image and if God is feminine, that who cares that church feels feminine? It's almost like they're saying like, it's a bad thing. Hmm. Um, and I don't think that church is unattractive to men because it's feminine. Like, I think it's because guys are not inviting their male friends to church. <laughs> like, that's it. I just, right. I, yeah, there's just this view of women that's just small. It's not even like it's bad necessarily. It's just small. And I've had my married friends say to me, Bridget, you know, I never really thought about being more than a wife and a mother, you know, until recently, or like, it never occurred to me to like dig deeper into my giftings and skills because all that was offered to me was like this little box and me being single. One of the privileges I have is that I don't have to live in that box really, you know, like I get to kind of dream of what it means for me to partner with other people. And I, obviously I have a lot more freedom to do that in some ways, but you know, I've seen something and there's like, it's symptomatic. I think of just the larger issue of, I think that our view of gender roles looks more like the world than mm-hmm. actually the word and actually the kingdom of God. I, I think that's a profound insight. And I thank you for sharing it, Bridget. It's it's interesting because even as you say that, I'm reminded that there's no there's no gender-specific discipleship tracks in the New Testament. It's not like Paul <laughs> sat down and it's like, okay, this is what dudes need to do. And yeah. there's another box for the ladies. It's like, nope, everybody, everybody single, married, male, female, parents, non-parents, here's the track. Everybody is called to take one step closer towards Jesus. Everybody is yeah. called towards holiness. Everybody's called towards righteousness. Everybody bears the fruit of the spirit. And I think that. You're right. To the extent that we try to specialize tracks, we can, we can lose the forest for the trees. And I think that I, even as I read your book, I was really convicted to be able to say like, oh, wow. You know, sometimes we view hyper-specialization in ministry to be able to say like, oh, we're going to have a a special curriculum for fourth graders and a special curriculum (laughs) for junior high and a special curriculum for high school. And then here's for singles and here's for marrieds and here's married men and here's married women to be able to say, I don't, again, I, I understand the intent behind all of that, but the, the liability that it does is it says mm. you can only have community within your spe- specified social location. Yes. And Paul doesn't give liberty for that. Although he gives yeah. liberty for a lot. He doesn't, he doesn't say that in, in scripture, right? Yeah, that's real. That's good. I, it, that reminds me of one of my pastors once said in a sermon, I wouldn't say that there is a special discipleship for women versus men, men versus women. And I was like, wow, I love hearing this, but do you practice that? Right. You know? And so it's like, okay, we're almost there and we can Mm -hmm. believe things and we can say things with our mouths. But I think sometimes it's so hard for church leadership to put into practice. And I'm with you. I think contextualizing discipleship and the gospel for specific groups has its place. I think that we like live in a generation of, of loneliness right now, you know? And so to do things more in community might be another call Mm -hmm. for the church. Like 
maybe more than it just already exists. <laughs> and so I don't know. That is something I'm interested in. I, there's a book called Wait With Me by Jason Gabbery. I Maybe you've heard of it. It's another university press book. And he addresses loneliness. And mm. um, that was like really important for me to read, you know, even in the process of me writing my book, because one of my chapters is called Loneliness. And I actually yeah. talk about depression uh, that I experienced, like extreme loneliness. And I was surrounded by people. And it was because... I don't feel like my relationships were genuine, authentic, like trust, built trust. You know, it was just, you can be surrounded by people and still be really lonely. And so I do think the church can have something to do with that. Like, I mean, in either way, right? Like the church can be the answer to it. And and that's my hope more than my complaint. (laughs) Right, right. No, recently I was reading through the book of Acts and was reminded of the story of Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila and Priscilla, they're they're Jews. They've been run out of Rome by the religious leaders. They're persecuted. They're on the run. They're just trying to scratch and claw their existence up in Corinth. They don't they know nobody when they they get there. And yet they kind of adopt this emerging ministry leader, Apollos. And it's not like they have like some pity for him. He's not like some wounded puppy that they have empathy (laughs) for, but they see him as a potential equal partner in the gospel. And I love Mm -hmm. that snapshot of the three of them, like a married couple and a single male under the same, whether it's metaphorical or literal tent, um, trying to figure out how to do life and ministry together. And I think that we've, we've lost so much that. And part of my ache is not only that we relegate you know, straight cisgendered singles to the margins. Yeah. A church's theology that says like, Hey, if you're LGBTQ or same sex attracted, you can have a seat at the table, but just know that you're going to be kind of consigned to a life of singleness and Hey, good luck figuring that out. And so, yeah, we we, we have nothing to say about that either. (laughs) Right. Right. So we're like, Hey, good news is you can welcome the kingdom. Oh, also, you know, fine print. You you have to figure out celibacy and you got to do that by yourself because we don't have a model and we don't have a framework for it, which is just, which is not hospitable and it's not gracious and it's not kind. So if that's the way we've been doing it, Mm -hmm. what's the better way? Yeah. What's the better way? Well, that's why why it's been really beautiful for me to be connected to so many people who also are trying to resource singleness in within the church. My friend Peter Vock is one of the founders of Equip. So I think you can just go to equip.org. Sorry, Peter, if I'm saying that wrong. Anyway, his whole organization is to equip churches to be hospitable to LGBTQ, to help them discern about lifelong vocational singleness. He, that's just the whole conversation he's having all the time. And that's his hope. And so he even, um, you know, I mentioned him in my book and I've only gotten to know him the last couple of years. I'm so blessed to like have him as my friend. Um, the way he lives out his choice to be celibate as a gay man is that he has created a family. Like they have this whole community of men who are committed. They live in the same house. They have like a common purse, you know? And so it's really neat because then also they don't have to work full time. They can give of their extra time to serving people and, you know, even being there for one another. Um, and it's called the Nashville family of brothers. And Peter's actually really interested in starting a bunch of those communities, like all over the States, Um, anyway, I won't speak too much for him, but I think that the fact that I know that exists, right. 
Yeah. That's beautiful. And we need to learn from our brothers and sisters in the faith of all backgrounds, especially LGBTQ, I think, you know, because it they are being marginalized within faith communities, but they're already being marginalized just in the world. Like, you know, there's just so many different things that they have to leap over or deal with on a daily basis. And I have had so many students who dealt with that, that like I got to come alongside and just help them come closer to Jesus. And I felt like, yeah, this, uh, the stuff that I deal with as a, as a cis straight woman is like hard enough for me. (laughs) that I was just like, man, I only really can imagine like sort of the extra levels of difficulty in people asking, well, does God love me? Is there a place for me here? What does that mean? What does that look like? And for me, it was hard because I was like, I'm not sure I have exact answers. And that's people's like probably main complaint with my book is that I do say some hard things, but I also don't give answers around some major topics because I think that the hope is that what I did is just create the space to say, keep asking. Yeah, one of those things is around our desires. This might be another reason why singleness stuff's coming up more is that I felt in the Christianity I grew up in, and you can tell me if you feel this way too as a man. I felt that we were told our desires were just inherently sinful, like no matter what they were. Mm -hmm. It takes growing up and (laughs) maybe even being out of that, um, hearing from hearing that voice, you know, Mm -hmm. as often to start to realize, wait a second, you know, my desires are just desires. What I do with them is what matters here. But yeah, and then everyone has different opinions on what you do with your desires. And so navigating that has been, hard and lovely and exciting and crazy. Like, and so again, that's like, that applies across the board. And so I always tell people that like, yeah, my book's about my singleness journey, but it's really, I'm just talking about what it's like to be human and everyone kind of struggles with this. Is it okay for me to want what I want? And I'm not, and my answer right here is not saying, yes, it is. <laughs> I, well, I, I think it is actually okay for you to want it, but it might not be okay for you to get it. <laughs> sure. And, you know, who knows what that it is for people. Um, no, I, so. I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly. I was just reading through the Psalms this week and came across that like delightful verse that says what? Because delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires <laughs> of your heart. And I yeah. think that one of the things, even as I was journaling through that this week, Bridget, I realized that like I have surface level wants, but then I have like soul level longings. Longings, yeah. Does, does that make sense? And sometimes the want is the only way that I can imagine that my longing would be met. And sometimes mm-hmm. God says, Hey, let's drill, like, let's, let's, let's drill down to like the core and then let me help you imagine a way that that yearning could be met in a way that is different than the want. Does that, yeah. does that make any sense? Yeah. And it's like, God helps us to be more imaginative about how we meet our, like how we partner with him to meet our longings, because I'm just going to go here and sure. it's sex, right? Like, is like, the big want of everybody, save for like a small population of people. I think that for me, you know, that's a part of my book too, talking about being this like 
over 30 year old virgin feels like I'm a unicorn out here. And uh, there are days that I'm like, God, this is kind of funny because I think the only thing, and maybe I'm like, this is like a mild confession is I am so happy with how my life is and my relationships and community and everything. The only thing I feel like I'm missing when it comes to a romantic relationship. And for me, that means marriage is sex. And so like hilarious because I'm just like, I'm not going to get married just for sex. Obviously people do it, but I think that that conversation with God, as I make that little confession and kind of laugh with him about it is like, how do I honor what's going on? Like you said, drilled down in a way that's like whole, you know? And, and I think that that might be like the core of Christian spiritual practice is stop and slow down Mm -hmm. before acting, um, become way more self-aware and then like have that conversation with God to like filter it through what God might say about that thing. It's not the end of the world when we go and grab our wants immediately. But I think a life of doing that wears on the soul. (laughs) Like I think it, it can make us kind of weak for when things come crashing down. And, And so when I sum up my book to people, I say, it's just a book about who will you be when you don't get the thing you want most. Right. You can read my book, no matter if you're single or not, and think about what yours is. Like, what is your thing that you've longed for? And what are ways you maybe have tried to get it and it failed? And then like, how do you respond? You know, and sometimes I'm a brat about it. And then sometimes (laughs) I'm a little saint about it. (laughs) Yeah. But, but you're right. So much of formation is being able to say like, all right, Lord, every, every pure longing, every good longing comes from you. Some of those longings or the way that we want to have those longings met, get, get warped and twisted um, through our own fallenness and our own brokenness along the way. But like the longings for intimacy, the longings for connection, the longings for yeah. service, the longings for impact, every single one of those is right and pure and good at its yeah. core. Mm-hmm. And you talked about some of the fallout from purity culture. You said you, you very wisely said, I wouldn't get married just for the opportunity of intimacy. And yet there was a whole subset of the purity culture ideology that, that took that verse and mangled it badly. That said, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And we can't have kids burning with passion. So we might as well just marry them off. And we all know how well that went um, <laughs> for tens of thousands of couples that raced to the altar because we didn't, we didn't teach them a broader vision or a richer understanding of self-control or surrender or honor or self-awareness. Or just what it means to be human. Right. You know, like and I, all the things. <laughs> and, and I guess one of the things that, again, I don't want it all to be about lament, but sometimes we talk a lot of times I hear people within the church complain about the hypersexualization of the world, but the church has been more than happy to follow suit and, exactly. and say, wow, if, if we're hearing in church, either as married or as singles, that it's impossible to be an, a complete human being without this level of sexual connection at this frequency. Well, that's, again, nobody's really ever said that out loud to be able to say, not only is that not biblical, it's not helpful. Yeah. And so one of the things I appreciate about your book is for us to be able to say, okay, yeah, we would expect the world to say, yeah, you can't be complete without regular sexual connection, but we wouldn't expect to hear that from the church. And yet we do, even if we're not saying it out loud. 
Yeah. And like we narrow into where it's like, and it's a very specific type of sexual connection, you know, that, right. Right. and it's so, so it just gets, we- it, I think it gets weird, but I, I appreciate you bringing up the word lament that that is how I end my book is the last contemplative moment. I have these pilgrimage moments at the end of each chapter because pilgrimage is the motif throughout. That's what I think life can be. And, you know, our, my journey of singleness has felt like one, but it's communal lament is the last contemplative moment. And I chose to do that the night before I turned in my draft, like my, you know, kind of second pass at my draft. And I called one of my best friends who's married. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. Is this crazy? Because this is before, right before I just conclude the whole book conclusion chapter, but I think it's appropriate. And what I'm sort of lamenting is that it's not just for me that there hasn't been space and good discipleship. It's it's for such a wider community. And mm. so I have been, I do think, in like a season of feeling a little more jaded, but I don't think I've completely lost my hope that the church can be countercultural and it can be a, a better answer for all of these things. I just think that my jadedness is in not getting to see it lived out as often <laughs> as I'd right. like right in front of my eyes. Right. But again, I love, I love that you use pilgrimage because you refer to a couple different stories, whether it's going on a, a hike with friends domestically or whether it's being in, in China or on the El Camino for you to be able to say, mm-hmm. Hey, there are, there are great days for pilgrimage and they're really hard days for pilgrimage, but it doesn't mean that the pilgrimage isn't worth taking. And I think that again, another version of kind of warp theology that American evangelicalism has bought into it's that, Hey, if I check the right doctrinal boxes, God owes me a life of sunshine and rainbows. Like there's a prize at the bottom of every single box. And there's not, Jesus doesn't teach that the Psalms don't teach that there's like not any portion of the scriptures that teach that. But for some reason, we've yeah. kind of co-opted a cultural yeah. narrative and tried to wrap it in our favorite Bible verses. And Jesus <laughs> says, Hey, part, part of the journey is to learn to deny self, take up cross and follow me. And it's not follow me into this life of drudgery. It's follow me into a life that's laced with joy and meaning and beauty and purpose but doesn't, doesn't mean that all the steps along the way are easy. And that, that's what I appreciate about the book is it's it's laced with, with hope, but also like candor to be able to say, yeah, the days that are hard are really hard. Um, God is faithful in them and brings us through them, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're going to pretend that they're anything um, better than what they were. Yes. And there's a small percentage of people who really love going on a hard hike, you know? just a small amount of people who love that. And (laughs) I do, I love going on a hike in theory. And then I, in the middle of it, I'm like, man, like the hard parts, you know, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. And then I, at the end, I'm like, I loved that. And obviously I keep going back, (laughs) but I think that that's just, that is life. And, and really at the core of what you're saying is the prize isn't all the little tiny prizes. The prize is Jesus. And so That And that's like, I guess, like my biggest hope for people in reading my book. I know that there's non-Christians who have picked up my book and I hope for them that they see this, that, that just that one truth is that I'm like, you know what, even if I never get the thing that I want the most, I already have the thing I, I need the most. And on most days 
what I want the most is just more Jesus. And yeah, yeah, that treasure in a field, you know, it's like, I already have it. And I want people to know that that's what you get with the kingdom of God is you already have the whole thing. And so if the circumstances of your life don't look like you imagined, doesn't matter. You already have the whole thing. And maybe that's the whole story of Job too, is that he already had all the things, all the little treasures and that God would allow for it to be taken away. And he still believed he had the best thing. Hmm. And so, um, I mean, I do not pray Job over all of us. <laughs> I, I'm 33. This, like, I just turned 33 in October and I'm calling it my resurrection year. And people will funny, you know, be funny and say, um, well, he also died, Bridget, when he was 33. And I said, sure, sure, sure. And like, may God put to death the things in me that need to, but I'm claiming resurrection over me. And so that's what I get to live in, no matter what the circumstances of my life are, I do have access to resurrection life. And that's like, magical. <laughs> what great words to land on. Bridget, for people who are curious about your work, your ministry, your podcast, where can they go for more information? Yeah, I my podcast is called Solidarity, the singleness podcast. Um, that's spelled like the word solidarity, but the first I would be an A. Sola is the word for single in Spanish. And I speak Spanish. I live in Arizona. It's a whole thing. Anyway, that's Solidarity. Um, you could just also follow me on Instagram at the Bridget G and I post stuff about my book. I have an Instagram for my podcast too, but who cares about it? You know, <laughs> so th those are the main things I haven't really done much in the way of, um, uh, my website or blog lately. Um, we'll see if that kicks off more, but okay. yeah, that's, those are the main places. Awesome. Bridget, thank you so much for uh, taking time to be with us today. Again, the book is called Single, Just Because, A Pilgrimage into Holy Aloneness. And I recommend it for people who are single and people who are married alike. It is a gift to the church and a really critical um, set of insights for this unique cultural moment. Bridget, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.